Hello and welcome to Wizard Studies. I'm Katie. And I'm Audrey. And today we are going to be talking about everybody's least favorite Gryffindor, but everybody's favorite rat, Mr. Peter Pettigrew, a.k.a. Wormtail. I told her to intro this episode by saying the brattiest <laughs> rat that ever did rat. <laughs> Which I feel like is accurate, and you'll see my feelings on him. Ooh. So we don't have many announcements today, but just a quick reminder, our Patreon is going live in three days from the release date of this episode, so open up your pocketbooks, everybody. Um, Just kidding. Credit cards out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But seriously, if you feel inclined to be a patron of ours... You can check out our Patreon link. We will have links all over our social media. Probably not in this episode description because it won't be live when we post it, but at least next episode. Um, And we'll post the link on social media or anywhere you can find us. So if you do feel inclined to be a patron of ours and to donate to everybody's little podcast, everybody's favorite little podcast that could, we would really appreciate it. Um, As we mentioned before, just super quickly, the money that we're going to be getting isn't just going to go straight into our pockets and be our drinks money for the weekend it is going to be paying us back for a lot of the time and money we've already invested into the podcast such as our mic costs our shipping costs for all the giveaways we do our costs for just having an rss feed for our podcast like our host website that does cost money every year um so just so you know, that's what the money is going to be going towards. And then once we get kind of a little bit going, we can start upgrading some of our equipment and really putting money back into the podcast so we can create more things and be a better podcast for y'all. And you will be getting those perks that we've talked about previously, and that'll all be on the website on Patreon when you go to our link. Yeah. Also, I just want to add that... Even if it were going to be our drinks money for the weekend, (laughs) it shouldn't be, and it won't, because we're staying home. Correct. Wearing mask. Yes. No, I have not not been to a bar, no. (laughs) But hopefully in some time in the future, the world will get somewhat back to normal, and we will be able to go back out to bars. (laughs) Hopefully. And when that happens, we will use our own money, not the money you give us. (laughs) Correct. Correct my little PSA you know since we only have one announcement this yeah this our second announcement can be kinda... COVID is still a thing please wear your mask please stay at home as much as possible yeah do you think people will listen to this like 50 years from now and be like <laughs> what are they talking about? it'll be like it's like a time machine it's like a time capsule They'll go back and they'll instantly just be transported back to 2020. Be like, oh my god, yeah, that happened. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, well, on that note, we can talk about Mr. Peter Pettigrew, a.k.a. Scabbers, a.k.a. Worktail. So, for the etymology of his name, I, of course, had to go a little bit into all of the names that we know him by. So, first, his given name... Um, Peter in the Bible is one of Christ's apostles, and he's the one who, on the morning of Christ's, cru- Christ's crucifixion, 
he denies Christ and then later repents. So mm. I feel like that kind of makes sense. You know, I like that. A little, little like bit that. of a betrayal. Although, and maybe, maybe our Peter Pettigrew's death is his repenting? Hmm? Yes, we'll talk about his death later. <laughs> and then the name Pettigrew could be derived from the French word petit, meaning small, and the English word grew, hence grew small. Um, it could also be a reference to his time as Ron's rat, being the pet that Ron grew. A lot of puns in there. Um, petty could be corrupted form of petty, so like P-E-T-T-I and P-E-T-T-Y, meaning of little importance or trivial, um, talking about his lack of talent and like if he had not become friends with the rest of the Marauders, how he would have just been overlooked. Then for scabbers, um, a scab is obviously a covering over a wound and that's the main, I feel like, term that we know or definition of it. Um, But it also is a term for a worker hired to replace um, striking workers and also a slang word for a horrible person, which I did not know. But all of those those other ones, all of those feel really on brand. (laughs) And then finally, Wormtail. Um, meaning like a rat's tail, similar to looking like a worm. And I always thought worm tail was so funny because, I mean, I don't know what you're going to do with a rat, Animagus, like what kind of <laughs> nickname you're going to give yourself, but yeah. like Mooney, Padfoot, and Prongs are all such cool names, and then there's a worm tail. <laughs> yeah. It is... It's something I think I'm going to talk about the nicknames a little bit later because I just have questions about them in general. Um, But yeah, and it sounds when you just said Mooney, Padfoot, and Prongs, that sounds so weird because you say like Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs. Like that's just that's just the order that it goes in. I like hesitated because I was like, wait, who comes next? (laughs) Yeah. Like, how do I leave him out of this? Yeah. Um, Mooney, Padfoot, and Prongs is what it should be. Yeah, asterisk. <laughs> um, so we don't know his exact birthday, but we can figure out the years he could possibly born it be born in because we know like when he was a first year at Hogwarts. So working backwards, he would have either been born in nineteen fifty nine or nineteen sixty. So like from September first of nineteen fifty nine to like August thirty first of nineteen sixty. Yeah. Yeah, that that is the range that his birthday could fall in. And then his death date was late March 1998. We don't have the exact date, but it was at Malfoy Manor um, the day that all of that went down, whenever it was. And briefly about his death, or so we know that he was 38 or 39 at that age. So again, reminder, the Marauders are really freaking young. Yeah. Um, And then, just briefly about his death, because it's different than the movies. Yeah. Um, Harry and Ron tackle him. Wormtail starts to strangle Harry. And Harry's like, yo, remember when I saved your life and didn't let Lupin and Sirius kill you? Which I probably should have let them do that. Um, Wormtail hesitates, and the silver hand that Voldemort gave him responds to the hesitation by strangling Wormtail. Okay, I have something to say about his death, but I'm trying to decide whether I want to... I'll bring it up later. Do you want to talk about it during the Hogwarts house thing? Because I'm going to talk more about his death then. 
Yeah, I also, like, that falls in, when I talk about the second Warzone yeah. War, I also end with his death, so oh, I'll, okay. I'll, bring, I'll just bring it up later. Okay. Um, so, we're going to talk a little bit about his Animagus form, even though J.K. Rowling has stated that Peter Pettigrew was unable to perform a Patronus, because we have evidence kind of proving the fact that your animagus form is the same as your patronus form we we don't have any evidence to disprove that we're going to talk about his patronus form as like a rat and kind of what that means about him so from the MuggleNet patronus meeting kind of article that we'll pull from sometimes it says although they are commonly regarded as vermin or pests rats have impressive traits that signify them as worthy opponents including sociability resourceful and ambition sorry I don't know why that was hard for me to say despite their timidness rats are known to be stubborn and full of devious ways thus they should be treated with caution so I think that like kind of encapsulates Peter a little bit um maybe he you could maybe say he's resourceful um, I don't think that you could say he was ambitious or sociability and, or social and we'll talk a lot about this in our in a later section um but I think that like rats are known as like very smart um animals I'm pretty sure yeah um, they do have a lot of personality for an animal so you can you can take a lot from that if you want to <laughs> but I don't know if he really I think Peter embodies more of kind of this what's the word I'm looking for like cliche rat stereotype yeah as opposed to like a real rat. I think that that definite or meaning from MuggleNet is very much part of this like, oh my god, people can get rats as their Patronus. We need to make it sound kind of good. And I think like Peter having a rat animagus is like very just directly tied to the fact that like he was the rat in the order. For sure. I think it's like a pretty obvious pun. So then, just a little bit about his wand. So his first wand, we don't know anything about um, its characteristics, but then we know that Ollivander did make him, or was forced to make him, a second wand um, when Ollivander was being held captive by the Death Eaters. So the second wand was chestnut, dragon heartstring, nine and a quarter inches, and brittle. So a bit about chestnut wood. Ollivander writes, This is a most curious and multifaceted wand, which varies greatly in its character depending on the wand core, and takes a great deal of color from the personality that possesses it. The wand of chestnut is attracted to witches and wizards who are skilled tamers of magical beasts, those who possess great gifts in herbology, and those who are natural flyers. However, when paired with dragon heartstring, it may find its best match among those who are overfond of luxury and material things and less scrupulous than they should be about how they are obtained. Conversely, three successive heads of, Wis- of the Wisengamot have possessed chestnut and unicorn wands, for this combination shows a predilection for those concerned with all manner of justice. So I really liked... Um, chestnut as a wood for his wand because um that first sentence about varying depending on the character i think it gets to what i'm going to talk a lot about i think in my personality type and also later in a different section um, the comparison of peter to neville and the fact that both of them started in very similar places and 
either could have had the other's path in life, but it was choices that they made that defined them and the relationships that they formed with the other people in their year that defined them. And so I think Peter is someone who very much had the potential to do good, not necessarily because he was a good wizard, but because he had the potential to be on the good side and to fight for the good side, and he chose not to. Um, And part of that is like his own choice, and part of it is influenced by how he was treated and everything. But I like the idea that this wand can kind of go either way, go in totally different ways depending on the the core, because I think that's very much what we see in both Peter and Neville's characters. Um, And then it's just worth noting um, that specific thing about being paired with Dragon Heartstring. There's this, it's for people who are kind of over fun, over fond of luxury and material things and not very scrupulous, Um, which I don't know that Peter really, you would describe him as like being fond of material things, but he of course like puts, he's not very good at judging what, what sides he should take. So for Peter's blood, it's weird calling him Peter. I didn't like that. For Pettigrew's blood status, we do know that his mother was a witch. So we know that he's either a half blood or possibly a pure blood. Um, We don't know about his father's blood status or his grandparents' blood status. So we are not able to make that call. But he's not muggle-born. And then finally, his Hogwarts house is Gryffindor, but we're going to talk a whole lot more about that later. Yeah, so moving on to the first mention, let me get it pulled up here. I'm going to be reading from The Journey from Platform 93 Quarters and Harry Potter and Sorcerer's Stone. I bet you thought I was about to say Prisoner of Azkaban, didn't you? No, we're going back to Sorcerer's Stone. So... Like I said, from the Journey Platform 9 3 quarters, here is the quote. I've got Bill's old robes, Charlie's old wand, and Percy's old rat. Ron reached inside his jacket and pulled out a fat gray rat, which was asleep. His name scabbers, and he's useless. He hardly ever wakes up. Percy got an owl from my dad for being made prefect, but they couldn't... I mean, I got scabbers instead. So that is... Technically, Peter Pettigrew's first mention, even though it is as Scabbers the Rat. I am also going to read Peter Pettigrew the Person's first mention from Prisoner of Azkaban, Chapter 10, The Marauder's Map. So this is when Harry is at the Three Broomsticks, and he's overhearing... I guess, like, Harry, Ron, and Hermione actually do all overhear this in the book I believe it's he doesn't like go up to that second room like they're just in the three broomsticks as well so McGonagall Flitwick Hagrid Madame Rose Murda and Fudge are kind of all talking about Sirius's betrayal of the Potters and why that meant so much because Sirius was the Potters like best friend so they do also mention Peter in this It was not we who found him. It was little Peter Pettigrew, another one of the Potter's friends, maddened by grief, no doubt. But in knowing Matt Black had been the Potter's secret keeper, he went after Black himself. Pettigrew? That fat little boy who was always tagging around after them at Hogwarts, said Madame Rose Murda. Hero worshipped Black and Potter, said Professor McGonagall. Never quite in their league talent-wise. I was often rather sharp with him. You can imagine how I, how I regret that now. She sounded as though she had a sudden head cold. So, I know, she feels very guilty. She should not feel guilty. Nope. About that, anyways. 
Um, so I think that I really like that first mention of Peter because it very much adds to kind of in the moment if you don't know how the book ends like if you don't know the plot twist they make him sound so like weak and helpless that you do feel bad for him in this moment especially seeing like McGonagall who's this beloved very trusted very smart character Mm -hmm. that like we as a reader are supposed to trust kind of like feel this way about him I think it really plays into that like deception in the book oh that reveal is so good yeah it is not as good as the reveal in Goblet of Fire though (laughs) (laughs) now we're going to talk about the Myers-Briggs personality type Peter Predigrew and this one it really tore me apart I it kills me to do this because, as some of you may know, my personality type is <laughs> ISFJ. And I have assigned Peter ISFJ. <sighs> I just... I feel so much shame. <laughs> but we're gonna move on. Um, so, the internet is pretty split on Peter being ISFJ or ISFP. I found the ISFJ fit him better... Um, it's the defender personality type, and we just spoke about this recently because it's Cho's personality type, and it's also Neville's. And I think that was why I really liked this as a personality type for him. Um, I think we've talked about it on the pod in the past, but the kind of the correlation between all of the members of the Marauders generation and the members of Harry's generation, and how in that correlation, um... Peter and Neville can kind of be seen as the same character, but in this, like, theory, it's where, like, Harry, anytime the Marauders generation got something wrong, kind of, like, Harry's generation got it right. So, that's why, like, Neville ends up having, like, the ultimate hero story, the total glow-up, long-bottoming, um, <laughs> and embodies true Gryffindor traits, Whereas Peter then, of course, has the ultimate betrayal. So I think it's really interesting to see them as having the same personality type. And then just, like, kind of the good and bad of the two. Or, like, the two ways that the personality can go. Alright, so I'll just I'll just go into it, even though this, <laughs> this really kills me. <laughs> though sensitive, defenders have excellent analytical abilities. Though reserved, they have well-developed people skills and robust social relationships and though they are generally a conservative type defenders are often receptive to change and new ideas as with so many things people with the defender personality type are more than the sum of their parts and it is the way that they use their strengths that defines who they are um so what jumped out first to me was like sensitive he's definitely like that's kind of in mcgonagall's like description of him i don't know if she uses that word but I think when we think of, like, this little boy just, like, tagging along after the two cool kids in school, like, seeing him as sensitive, kind of being the one left out, um, the one who doesn't quite fit in, but then at the same time analytical, and the fact that while we obviously see his betrayal and going to the dark side, (laughs) Star Wars, going to the (laughs) Death Eaters in Baltimore as a terrible move, it was like analytically 
and like for his own not necessarily for his own good but like it was a way a smart way for him to try to get more power and respect even though totally did not pay off but we'll talk more i'll talk more about that later um and then like with him being reserved definitely not the most boisterous marauder i think we can break the marauders up as like james and sirius are kind of like out of control and then lupin and, and Pettigrew are more reserved but nonetheless like they do have these friendship this friendship and these social relationships and again we'll talk more later about how good that friendship might have actually been but um i think it's definitely a trait of his and then one thing i did also like in this part of the description is that like the way that you use your strengths which obviously for any personality type but it says it specifically for this personality type is that like the way that they choose to use their strengths is what defines them so again yeah. getting back to those choices and the difference with neville and peter the challenge for defenders is ensuring that what they do is noticed they have a tendency to underplay their accomplishments and while their kindness is often respected more cynical and selfish people are likely to take advantage of defenders dedication and humbleness by pushing work onto them and then taking the credit Defenders need to know when to say no and stand up for themselves if they are to maintain their confidence and enthusiasm. So, Wormtail never learned up to stand up. Learned how to stand up for himself. And again, this is key, a key difference with him and Neville. Um, Neville obviously learned to stand up and like did so early on, but we kind of forget about like him standing up for himself in Sorcerer's Stone. But I thought this part of the description was really interesting because I think it can be interpreted with both his relationship with the Marauders and with the Death Eaters. So the Marauders took advantage of him, um, even though they did like let him hang around. He definitely was just like tagging around, tagging, tagging along, and I think they personally benefited from him being there because, like what McGonagall said, like he hero worshipped them. It was, like, a boost to their confidence to have this little nerdy kid that thought they were the shit. Yeah. I think Sirius, for sure, and maybe James as well, if we knew more about James, can be seen as that, like, quote, more cynical and selfish person that kind of just uses this personality type to their advantage. And then you kind of see this whole thing playing out all over again with the Death Eaters and Voldemort. So... Snape, Voldemort, the Malfoys, Bellatrix, all of them totally just boss him around and take advantage of him. No one has even an ounce of respect for him, even though, like, he did deliver the information of where the Potters are, but I think all the Death Eaters see that as shitty because, like, that led to Voldemort's demise. Um, and Wormtail doesn't obey them out of kindness, as it says, like, in this description, but so much as like not having a spine not being able to stand up for himself but again it's him being taken advantage of and just like doing their dirty work yeah i think that it says a lot because like he's not good enough to be on the good side but like the bad side doesn't really see him as bad enough to be on the bad side either you know yeah that's a good interpretation of it I think, like, he doesn't fit in anywhere. Yeah. Well, also, I'm sure that Death Eaters were kind of like, oh, wow, so he betrayed, like, his best friends. Like, how loyal can he really be to, like, our cause? You know? That kind of thing. Sure. Naturally social, an odd quality for introverts. 
Defenders utilize excellent memories not to retain data and trivia, but to remember people and details about their lives. When it comes to gift giving, defenders have no equal, using their imagination and natural sensitivity to express their generosity in ways that touch the hearts of their recipients. While this is certainly true of their co-workers, whom people with the defender personality type often consider their personal friends, it is in family that their expressions of affection fully bloom. So I think this is really hard to read into because I don't think we see Wormtail ever interacting with like true friends because um, we don't get any real looks at like the Marauders not bullying Snape or you know like any looks at just like what their day-to-day friendship might have been like. I do based on like kind of what we know about Lily and I think how she's more empathetic um, than James and Sirius. I kind of feel like this might be what his relationship with Lily could have been like. Um, and I think if you interpret it that way of like, kind of like Lily always taking care of him and like sticking up for him and maybe telling like James to stop teasing him and, and really accepting him into their group and then later into like her, their family, James, Lily, and Harry, I think that is like what makes the betrayal even worse like more so like his betrayal of lily if she was the one that was like nicer and kinder to him than his betrayal of james if we read it as like they weren't even really friends which i think a lot of people intend to do yeah i think that like if she did stand up for him like kind of because we talked about how he really never stood up for himself if she had done that for him and he betrayed her well so then just a blurb from the friendship section, because obviously that's really relevant with Wormtail. Um, it says, defenders need a lot of positive feedback and admitting this need certainly shows vulnerability, but if vulnerability is well handled, it creates the deep bonds that defenders person defender personalities look for. If badly handled or not reciprocated, it's hard to see the burgeoning friendship surviving without quite a bit of extra effort. And I think this just stood out to me because kind of points to what could have been missing in the Marauders friendship that like there wasn't enough emotional support and recognition and like positive feedback given to Wormtail and I think you think about like teenage boys and like the type of boys that the Marauders were at Hogwarts you know pranking and romping around being Marauders I think that might not have been the best friend group and that actual like support and emotional connections that Wormtail needed. So then for strengths we have supportive, reliable and patient, <laughs> imaginative and observant, enthusiastic, loyal and hardworking, and good practical skills. Um some of these loyal. are terrible matches. <laughs> yeah, loyal, reliable, supportive, none of those are good. I think this is like where he does not fit at all the good things about this personality type. Yeah. Speaking as this personality type. <laughs> but maybe, I don't know, like, good practical skills. Maybe that's a little bit of a self-preservation. I don't know. He stayed alive yeah. for a lot longer than he should have. Observant. He, like, he found Bertha Jorkins and, like, realized yeah. that she could be a valuable asset to them. That's kind yeah. of observant. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. I feel like that's grasping at straws a little bit, but 
And then for weaknesses, which a lot more fit him, um, humble and shy, take things too personally, repress their feelings, overload themselves, reluctant to change, not so much. And then this one, not at all, is too altruistic. But like, that's that's a dumb weakness anyway. Yeah. <laughs> that's like at a job interview when they ask you for your weakness and you're like, well, I just work too hard. Exactly. That is exactly what that is. So... I think the other ones really kind of work, especially when we're reading into his motivation. Um, Hubble and Shy, like, he was lucky to have James and Sirius and Remus as friends. Takes things too personally. Um, perhaps he was angered by all the years of being the odd one out. Repressing feelings. Like I was saying, not getting that emotional support in the friendship. Never confronting anyone over how he felt. Left out and mistreated. And then overload themselves, maybe we can see, like, another way we can read his betrayal is maybe he actually did want to do the right thing. Maybe he was telling the truth. We don't really know. But it maybe it was just too much for him to be secret keeper and he was overloaded. So I think that kind of stuff I will get at in my next section. But overall, sadly, I think the personality type fits pretty well. But I do just love this correlation between him and Neville. Because I think it's one of the ones that fits the best out of like the two characters from the different generations. This next section I'm going to be talking about his time at Hogwarts. And like his, this is going to be a lot about his relationship with the Marauders and how I choose to interpret it. Um, and I'll defend my interpretation throughout as well. So just kind of his time at Hogwarts he quickly became friends with uh three other Gryffindor boys in his year James Sirius and Ramus and I've seen a lot of stuff that's like fanfic or like positing about the just like wondering about the fifth boy in their year which got me thinking like is there always five of each gender in every house because then that like is it just serendipitous that there's equal numbers of yeah, all houses no in every, like, age group? Um, so I think that there could have only been four Gryffindor boys. Um, yeah, Or there could have been before. six or there could have been eight, you know? I think the rooms expand and contract as needed. Like, it's magic, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it just, like, it totally negates the whole sorting ceremony if there yeah. have to be, like, perfect numbers every time. I think yeah. it's something that the author never thought about. But. Yeah. And I think that, like, people talk about this quite a bit. Like, we even talked about, like, the other Gryffindors and Hermione. The other, other Gryffindor mm-hmm. girls and Hermione. Her, wow, words. The other Gryffindor girls and Hermione's year. Like, we do know that they exist because they are mentioned. Um, so we're not just, like, coming up with things out of, like, numbers you know trying to think that there has to be five but I don't know like I think that there very well could have just been the four of them in Gryffindor um yeah for the boys so he did take part in the bullying of Snape with the other boys but there was a quote in the wiki that was like if he wasn't friends with James and Sirius he definitely would not have been courageous enough to bully Snape which I agree with um he would not have done it on his own then after he and the other boys found out that Remus was a werewolf, this happened in their second year, they decided to help him during his transformations and learn to become anime guy. So this is where I have lots of questions about timelines. So there is some dispute about when the Marauders became 
anime guy. There's a quote that says that by their fifth year, all of them had become anime guy. But it's also implied that, like, Peter could have taken longer than um, James and Sirius. Like, he needed their help. So, a lot of... I've seen, like, Jay from Super Carlin Bros is, like, a firm believer that James and Sirius learned how to do it in their third year. And then Peter learned how to do it in their fifth year. Which I don't think there's any, like, evidence to prove that fact. Um... But just we know that by their fifth year, all three of them had accomplished it. We don't know, like, when within those three years they accomplish it. Um, so there is some question about that. And, like, before they were anime guy, did they help Ramus with his transformations? Or did they only help him for the last, like, two years at Hogwarts? Two and a half years? Like, could they have helped him it, as humans? I don't really know the answer to that. Um also, like, did they not have their nicknames till after they become an- became anime guys? So they, it wasn't even, like, that's weird to think about that, like, Wormtail wasn't always Wormtail. Like, I, Mooney might have gotten his name beforehand because he had been a werewolf the whole time. Yeah. I think they definitely started calling him Mooney when they found out. Yeah. So that's just also weird to me to think about that they like really like that James really only had his nickname. Like if we're going that they all accomplish it in fifth year. They re- he really only had his nickname for like five years of his life. Yeah. Well, it's like a quarter of his life. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I was just kind of like thinking about that. Because like I said, calling him Peter is just so weird I typed that in my notes because it's shorter than both Pettigrew and Wormtail but it's just weird so I'm gonna talk a little bit about like how to become an anime guest because we do know a little bit of information about it so this is a quote just from I think this is from the lexicon or the wiki it says part of the process by which become one by which one becomes an anime guest is holding the leaf of a mandrake in their mouth for an entire month using the leaf for the creation of a potion reciting an incantation amato amino animato animo animato animagus <laughs> um okay <laughs> it's really not that long i just like repeated myself so it's amato amino animato animagus on a daily basis and drinking the animagus potion during a lightning storm once the initial training is over an animagus can then change at will with or without the use of his wand so there has been a lot of like, I've seen a lot of talk about, like, where did Peter Pettigrew's wand go? Because he had to have had it on him. Um, so I guess, like, you can become, turn into an animagus without your wand, which I didn't really know. Well, I don't know how they show it in the book, but in the third movie, you need a wand. Yes. Because, like, he can't do it until Remus starts to transform and he, like, gets over. Great, yeah. So, again, I don't really know if I remember where that quote is from and even if it is from the wiki or the lexicon like I don't know where they like the source on this is um but I have heard all of this before like I I had heard those things before that you had to have done to become an animagus I think we've talked about I think so as well maybe in the serious episode or McGonagall um So yeah, that's just a little bit about like how to become an animagus. And then I want to talk 
about his friendship with the Marauders because we don't really know much more about them during this time. Like, we know that they bullied Snape. We know that they were friends. We know that they created the Marauders map. We know that they became an anime guy. But, like, we don't know too much about, like, their actual interpersonal relationships. And I think that in the fandom, a lot of people, like, brush off their friendship with Peter just because of the way things ended up. And I don't, I don't know if I subscribe to this theory. I really do think that they were friends. Whether or not, like, I believe that James and Sirius, like, actually liked Peter that much is something different. But I really do think that they were, like, good, close friends. Like, the way Sirius and Ramus talk about him in the Shrieking Shack, like, they, they talk about him as, like, a very good friend. And, like, this betrayal was, like, immense. Mm-hmm. And I do think that, like, some evidence to this fact is, like, he was credited as, like, a creator of the Marauder's Map. I think very easily, if they wanted to, they could just not have, like, had him join them in that. He could have, they could have not helped him become an Animagus. Like, they could have just left him behind. I mean, I, I really do think that they were good friends. And I think that thinking that they weren't friends really takes away from the betrayal. And I think us as fans do that so that, like, we, it makes more sense to us. The betrayal, like, oh, they weren't even really that good of friends, so it doesn't really matter. But also another piece of evidence of the fact that they were friends is that the Potters made him their secret keeper to begin with. Yeah. Like, I know that he yeah. wasn't, te- like, really their first choice, but they still made him their secret keeper. So I think that speaks a lot to their relationship. And so I think that like really downplaying their friendship is a disservice to the characters. And I think really does downplay the betrayal in the end. I know it's weird. Like I can't really wrap my head around the fact that Peter was really good friends with the rest of the Marauders. But like I said, I don't know how much I believe that they enjoyed his company or really liked him as a person. But I think just like by circumstance, if they were like we think or we are pausing the only Gryffindor boys, like they just became friends. Like, you know how sometimes in high school you're like friends with people and then later you realize like why I didn't even really like them that much. It just kind of like circumstances like you're just with them. So you become friends with them you know so that's kind of my piece on their friendship like he's always portrayed as kind of just like tagging along but like I said whenever the marauders like talk about him they talk about like the four of them being great friends and like really being close so I don't know that's just my spiel on their friendship and like what I think the dynamic was yeah I think I agree with you because I think definitely if we interpret them as being the only Gryffindor boys of that year like it would make sense that they didn't leave him out you know that would be like pretty mean and then also like they could be four great friends but James and Sirius could have never really like spent one-on-one time with Peter and never would like have desired to you know like because they were always all together right like they have all their classes together they live together it would make sense that they maybe haven't spent a ton of one-on-one time with them and never really wanted to whereas like we know james and Sirius are closer than that because Sirius did go and live at james's house yeah yeah i don't really have too much more to say that about like his time at hogwarts um 
But just kind of, like, reiterating what McGonagall kind of said in that quote. Like, he was always kind of seen as, like, the less talented, the not as popular, the not, like, he wasn't as going, he wasn't as smart, he wasn't as, like, well-liked as the rest of the Marauders. So he does kind of get painted as this outcast, and that's where people kind of talk about him, like, not really being friends with the other Marauders. But, I don't know, I still think that they, like, definitely shared a very close friendship but I definitely agree with kind of like what you were saying and like maybe they didn't really like him that much it yeah. seems weird to say that but I think that it was a lot of just like happenstance and circumstance that they were just with him all the time so they were kind of like quote-unquote forced to be friends with him just because like the right. sheer amount of time they had to spend with him right all right so on that note I'm gonna talk a bit about Peter's betrayal and his motivations as much as we can guess at them. So just a quick recap. Casey forgot what happened. <laughs> when the Potters went into hiding because of the prophecy, James was adamant that Sirius become the secret keeper. But of course Sirius thought that Voldemort would suspect him because he was the closest with James, because he is a um, black and is associated with that family. Like He thought that he was vulnerable. So Sirius suggested that they make Wormtail the Secret Keeper and this was a change that they didn't tell anyone about. Um, Remus didn't know, Dumbledore didn't know, everyone thought that Sirius was the Secret Keeper. So therefore everyone thought that Sirius was the one who betrayed the Potters. On October 31st 1981, that fateful night, Sirius went to like check up on Wormtail's hiding spot and he found he wasn't there so he immediately went, went to Godric's Hollow and he found the destruction of the night's events and two of his best friend's bodies um, and their house destroyed and everything I'm gonna uh, cry Harry was also there when he showed up so he found baby Harry <laughs> yeah so then we you know Haggard arrived um and said that Harry has to go to the Dursleys. Sirius was like, I want to do it. Um, but it's Dumbledore's orders that Hagrid takes Harry to the Dursleys. Sirius then tracks down Wormtail, finds him on a busy muggle street where Wormtail, of course, like was there because he knew that Sirius couldn't attack him then. Um, he went to confront Wormtail, and Wormtail made a scene saying that Sirius was the one that betrayed him, and he fires a blasting curse and killed 12 muggles and then escaped in his animagus form, of course, leaving behind... All that's left of him was his finger! A finger! A finger! <laughs> so, Sirius, we know, was sentenced to life in Azkaban without trial, um, which, okay, some justice <laughs> system. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone blames Sirius. So... What could have driven Wormtail to do this? Why? Why? Yes. So I have a list of kind of just like potential motivations of like feelings and like just like motivators um, that he could have, that could explain why he did this, why he betrayed the Potters. So the first one I think is the one with the best evidence. And it's kind of the one that like everyone in the series kind of interprets as being the reason i don't think we like we never really hear a good account from wormtail 
So we can't, and we don't even know if we did hear that, we wouldn't even know if he was telling the truth. But So we can't really know what the motivation is, but this is the one that I think most people just take for fact. So self-preservation, survival, fear. All of these kind of driving him to want to do anything it could he could do to survive the war um and just like basically just keep keep himself alive because he was afraid of everybody so he survived hogwarts by hitching himself to the marauders which and i I say like survived hogwarts but you know like got through hogwarts basically um and this ensured that he may have been teased and bullied by them a little bit but not to the extent that someone like snape was like maybe if he hadn't been good friends with marauders they would have picked on him so that could be seen as like an evidence of like him acting through self-preservation in the past we see them he carries this on later into life by wanting to attach himself to power not necessarily for power himself but for safety and this is the motivation for joining Voldemort's side he realized Voldemort was winning the war and wanted to switch sides he needed to prove himself as a true supporter of Voldemort. He couldn't just, like, waltz in and be like, yo, make me a Death Eater now. Because he was part of the Order. They would totally think he was a spy. So he passed along the information. And someone on Stack Exchange made a really good point. Um, the user's name is Himarm. And they said, quote, Should the Order succeed, even if found out, he would be spared by his friend. Should Voldemort win, he had helped him and secured himself some relative safety in their ranks. So basically, like, take away all the emotions. You can just read this as total self-preservation move of just, like, this was the best move for him because he knew that the Order, like, he knew that if his friends found him out, they would hate him, but, like, he wouldn't be killed. And he knew that by delivering this information to Voldemort, if Voldemort wins the war, he's saved. Because probably, Voldemort wins the war, everyone in the Order is dying, right? So. Another instance of self-preservation was turning into his animagus form um, and kind of framing Sirius for the death because by doing this, Sirius would be taken care of, like, locked away in Azkaban so he couldn't hunt him down. And Sirius is the only one that knew that that Wormtail was the betrayer. Betrayer? Traitor? So then no one else would be looking for the rat, like the spy in the order, thinking that it was Sirius. And he... Once he faked his own death, no one would be looking for him. He was totally safe to just kind of, like, go on with his life. Helping Voldemort return was also self-preservation. Um, the only world where he could have lived as a human and not as a rat was one where Voldemort was in charge. Because everyone who knew what he had done would be dead or locked up if Voldemort was in charge. So, like, Sirius, Remus, etc. would have caught up with him eventually if he didn't go and gain Voldemort so i think that is the most convincing reason for um wormtail doing what he did is that like everything throughout his life in so many different stages of his life we just see him being motivated by self-preservation and the fact that he was just literally afraid of him yeah it's like really hard for me to like rationalize those moves like for someone to really be like that selfish and like really only singularly care about like their survival and not anybody else's is like wild to me yeah so then 
not as in-depth as that, but I tried to come up with a few other, like, reasons as why he might have done that. So, he could have been power-hungry. Um, he was probably pretty low in rank within the Order. He was very young, and he would have been overshadowed by James and Sirius particularly, probably also Lupin, um, just because he wasn't a very good wizard. So, by betraying them and going to Voldemort, he was making a grab at power, maybe. Um, giving Voldemort this type of information... If it had been successful, if Voldemort had not, like, quote-unquote, not really died, um, then he could have potentially, potentially become one of the most respected Death Eaters. I don't know that he ever would have been because of, like, who he is and the fact that, like, he's not very good at magic. And people, the Death Eaters, even if he had, like, delivered the victory to Voldemort, I feel like they never would have worshipped him because he just... We talked about this with the Bellatrix episode, like... There's the blood supremacist stuff, but there's also the, like, classist, elegance, like, I'm better than you stuff. Yeah. That, like, I don't see Bellatrix ever respecting Wormtail. No. Um, no. But that could have been his motivator, in that, like, it would have placed him in a good spot in Voldemort's graces if he wasn't really who he was and if things had gone according to plan. But the way things went, he ended up being hated by both sides because everyone just he's a little rat he's that's the reason why Voldemort's gone yeah the other another motivator could be out of re- revenge or feeling resentful towards the marauders um this is kind of if you don't buy what katie and i were just saying about him actually being friends with the marauders you can think through how like his hogwarts years he might have always hated being that one left out that all went out the being overlooked and when he had the opportunity to show everyone that he should have been treated better, he took it. And, like, that's a really powerful way to be, like, basically just a massive fuck you. Yeah. Um, I think it's just, I don't really see him with his personality doing that. Because I think he was, like, grateful to have the Marauders. Mm-hmm. Even though he doesn't show that gratefulness. But, like, I mean, that's, I, I feel like it's feasible that it it, maybe if he had more of a spine, I would buy it. But, like, this is, like... He doesn't have enough spine to do it this way, I think. Yeah, yeah. I do think that the kind of, like, res- revenge motive can tie into the self-preservation reason um, of why he would put himself over others because he thought that they wouldn't put him over them. Like, they wouldn't protect him or give their lives for him. Even though they probably would have. Yeah, I mean, I think Sirius literally even said, like, this, in the movie at least, he's like, we would have died for you, like. Yeah. Yeah. I also think that this, like, resentment might have been used as, like, justification. Like, I think maybe he made the decision out of, like, fear and self-preservation, but to, like, justify it to himself. He was like, well, they, like, never really liked me anyways. They always left me out. Like, that kind of thing. Yeah, I totally, that, I think that's what I mean. Like, it's part of the self-preservation reason, but, like, kind of just, like, a layer underneath that. Maybe something he was telling himself. Yeah. And then the final motivator could just be that he was straight up weak. <laughs> Which, I don't really, like, he is weak, but he did go out of it. As as we are told in the series, it seems like he went out of his way to turn them in or to, to betray them, so... I mean, you could maybe really, really give him the benefit of the doubt and say he genuinely wanted to protect James and Lily, but he got found out as Secret Keeper, which seems unlikely. I feel like the Death Eaters would never, like, think that they would make someone as, quote, 
week as Peter the Death Eater. Yeah. Um, and he could have been, like, there's a possibility. I don't know if you can get, like, you have to tell them if you're the Secret Keeper, but I imagine they could have just, like, threatened him with Crucio. Yeah. And he would have told them. Like, I buy the, the fact that he would have told them if they showed up on his doorstep, but I do think that he went out of way to betray them. Yeah. So, I don't know. Believe what you will. I think the self-preservation is, like, the biggest stick. Yeah, I agree. Like, that one, the best. So, picking up his movements from... I'm going to start from Preserve Azkaban and kind of talking about his role and his movements in the Second Wizarding War. So starting in Preserve Azkaban, we see that Ron is concerned about Scabbers. He's losing some weight. He's losing some hair. Um, and so he tries to help him. But this is only exacerbated by Hermione getting Crookshanks, who like tries to attack Scabbers at every possibility, every possible moment. So then Scabbers ends up faking his own death for the second time um, in his life by, like, leaving bloody sheets. Um, and so Ron thinks that, like, Crookshanks ate Scabbers. Scabbers reappears the night that everything goes down um, in Hagrid's cabin. So he comes with them to the Shrieking Shack. And then while at the Shrieking Shack, when Sirius shows up, he, like, reveals that Peter Pettigrew is Scabbers. And the reason Scabbers had been, like, feeling weird all year is because he had seen that Black had escaped from Azkaban in the newspaper. So he's getting really worried that Sirius was going to come after him. And so this whole time that, like, everybody thinks that Sirius is coming after Harry. It's, like, very convenient to that, like, storyline that Peter and Harry are, like, at the same location. Because mm -hmm. then when Sirius breaks in, like, everybody really thinks he's coming after Harry, but in fact he's, like, going after Peter. Um, so, yeah. That happens, and then the night where it all goes down, we've kind of already talked about he, um, Remus and Sirius were gonna kill him and then Harry this is okay this is where I have a little question so Harry like stops them from killing him and is like no we'll leave him for the Dementors like they can have their way with him so is that also kind of not sentencing wow words sentencing him to death like did yeah. Harry really save his life or did he just delay his death <laughs> right I mean wasn't his reasoning that like they needed him yeah, to prove that, like, Sirius yeah, was but, not yes. the betrayer. Harry was fine with his soul being taken out. Yeah. Taken out. So, like, I guess technically because Peter escaped, like, Harry did save his life because yeah. the Dementors were never able to kill him. But I don't think that was, like, the intention that Harry had. Like, I don't think he was this, like, um, like savior of Wormtail like no he deserves to live kind of thing he was like no we just need him for like one more yeah. hour and then we can kill him so yeah <laughs> that kind of questions he does say or is it a movieism when he's like my father wouldn't want you to be murderers that's definitely in the movies I don't know if it's also in the books I haven't read Prisoner in quite a while yeah but I do I like kind of off no off kind of off topic but i like the like tumblr posts and stuff that's like when harry said that 
he didn't realize but he wasn't talking about his father like his mother wasn't was the one like that's what convinced remus and sirius that like lily wouldn't have wanted them to be murderers yeah <laughs> lily <laughs> um yeah so after he escapes he turns back into a rat and he very like quickly is able to kind of find out where Voldemort is and the forest of Albania because he can communicate with other rats like he knows of this like sinister figure that's hanging out in the forest of Albania so he goes there um and then he on his way to Albania he like runs into Bertha Jorkins this is when he kind of like captures her brings her to Voldemort they torture her to get memories um no I guess not memories just like information and this information ends up being very useful and then they kill her or Voldemort kills her like Peter didn't really want to so during this time peter is like basically taking care of voldemort like he literally can't do anything without peter peter has to carry him around (laughs) peter has to milk nagini for her venom and her venom somehow like helps voldemort um i don't know how because it's venom i feel like it had the opposite effect um maybe because he's a snake yeah like maybe because like him and nagini had shared a body before um i don't know but it was said to like help him like maintain a body form like this venom so i don't know if like you put something else in it um but milking snakes is a real thing you can milk snakes for their venom that is a thing um so yeah so then they return to britain and then they squat in the riddle house this is when they kill uh frank bryce oh during this time wormtail tries to convince voldemort that like just let me go get the boy i can just bring harry to you right now don't even worry about the whole like triwizard tournament barty crunch jr side of the plan like i can do it right now but voldemort never lets peter leave his side because he's worried that peter will like run away and betray him um so he's basically like held hostage needs to be nursed so yeah voldemort (laughs) needs to be given his nagini milk and be carried around (laughs) everywhere so he needs peter um I don't really know if Peter would have, like, run away. I really think he just wanted time away from Voldemort because Voldemort just, like, utterly scares him so much that he must have just, like, always been in a constant state of fear, you know? Yeah. So, like, Voldemort knew that Peter wasn't, like, really loyal to him. It was more, like, his fear of him that kept Peter, like, on his side and helping him. He even, like, says that kind of at the graveyard. Like, you didn't bring me back because you, like, loved me or because you wanted me back you brought me back so I could protect you from like your ex-friends basically and that's pretty much yeah. what I believe his motives were so then they eventually go to the crouch house they free junior they imperious senior they go to moody's house they capture him and all of the events of the fourth book take place then peter is at the graveyard at the end of the book in little hangleton he helps make the potion to bring Voldemort back because junior can't come to the graveyard so peter is still like his only supporter at this moment and like physically in the graveyard before he comes back and they call the other death eaters so he's the one who makes the potion he's the one who gives up his hand so in the potion it says like flesh of the servant like 
do you think that Peter went a little bit overboard and cutting off his whole hand? <laughs> like, could he have not just cut off, like, another finger? Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know if it was, like, specified in the spell elsewhere that it needed, like, a whole hand, but I feel like that was a little, like, In the recipe? <laughs> yeah. I feel like that might have been a little excessive, a little overzealous of Peter, but he cuts off his whole hand, and Voldemort eventually gives him a silver one. Also, I'd like to point out that Peter was the one to kill Cedric, not Voldemort. The reason that Cedric comes out of the wand at the end is because Peter used Voldemort's wand, because Peter doesn't have a wand at this point in time. Um, I don't really know what happened to his wand, like, if he just left it on that muggle street, like, when he turned into a rat, and he just hadn't had one since. I feel like that might be what happened. Um, I, I think he did, because I think the ministry, like, when they, like, once he died, I think they gave his wand and his oh, to, like, finger his mother. and his order of Merlin. First class. Also, side note, the fact that he got an Order of Merlin is so fucked up. I also don't think it was ever taken away. I don't know. I think, like, he still has it. Um, Which, whatever. Um, So, then after four, we don't really see... We don't see Peter at all in Order of the Phoenix, to my knowledge. Or to my recollection. We do see him again in Half-Blood Prince. He's at Snape's house at Spinner's End, basically act- acting as Snape's servant. Like, he gets him drinks. Um, he's the one who, like, opens the door and, like, leads people around the house. Like, he's basically just Snape's servant, which I think Snape got a lot of pleasure out of bossing him around. Because even though Peter wasn't, like, his main bully or, bully or abuser in at Hogwarts, like, he was still part of that group that bullied him. It's, like, a little bit of retribution there for Snape. <laughs> um, I'm sure he enjoyed that a lot. So then we don't really know where he was during the school year of six, but we do know that by the end he was at Malfoy Manor, and then he's at Malfoy Manor from summer of 1970, 19- well, 1970, 1997 and he, like, probably stays there that whole time, like I just said, that period between 97 and 98. Um, we already talked about his wand, his old wand, and his new wand. And so then this leads the, um, me to talk about his death. So Audrey kind of, like, went through quickly, like, what happens. And I love this death. I think it is so cool. And I really don't like that the movie's how the movies did it um like Dobby just like knifes him in the back and he just falls over dead when the knife is like I mean I don't really know what can kill a person but this knife is like three inches long I feel like or four inches just like goes right in his back and he's just dead which like maybe one in the back of his head I don't know anyways um so like Audrey said Ron or so Wormtail comes down to the dungeons because there was a noise and they he goes to check it out. It was like Dobby disapparating. Then like Ron and Harry tackle him. Ron is able to like get the wand out of his hand. Um, he starts choking Harry and then Harry is like, "Bro, I saved your life all those years ago," even though he really didn't. Like we've already talked about. And then the his hand turns on him and it strangles him as like, which I think is so cool. Yeah, and it's like sounds kind of morbid that I think it's cool, but it's just like so interesting that like Voldemort basically gave him back a hand 
that like ended up killing him like he ended up kind of killing himself in a way like he was the one who like betrayed the potters who then like harry saved him who then he like betrayed again he was the one who gave up his hand to get one in return that ended up like actually killing him and voldemort was like sinister and evil and sadistic enough to like make the hand do that yeah like it's not really ever super clear like what kind of the specifics of this hand is but like I guess if it like Worm to Albert showed mercy that like the hand would not show him mercy I don't know something like that right I think I just think it like is really cool and I think it's really revealing of Voldemort's character and his like lack of trust of even his supporters or followers enough for the fact that like like he Wormtail gave a hand for him to come back and like Wormtail like yeah he didn't have the right reasons but he like nursed him back and to health and everything and then like Voldemort gives him this hand as like a guise of like repayment and thanks and it's like kind of like his way of just keeping an eye on Wormtail. Yeah and just like speaking of Wormtail's place in the Death Eater is just as a whole Wormtail just like if you, like, step back and kind of really just, like, take the emotion out of, like, analyzing his life, he, like, does have kind of a sad life. Yeah. You know, like, he betrays his friends to be safe and to, like, maybe find a new place that he belongs. And then the Death Eaters are, like, pretty abusive towards him. And he just, like, never really fits in there either. And he does some of like the most work we ever see a death eater do in like helping Voldemort Mm -hmm. like he betrayed the potters he found him when no other death eater did he like brought him back to help he gave up a hand he like cared for him for so many months and Voldemort just has no regard for him at all and none of the death eaters do and it just yeah it's kind of sad honestly I agree just couldn't couldn't be loved by anyone or no. even respected well i mean i th- i i don't know i think that he was loved by his friends yeah and i think he yeah. could have had like a perfectly happy life if he had not betrayed them I- so i guess it is kind of his fault <laughs> yeah okay so now on to the age-old debate on talking about wormtail is hogwarts house So the fandom loves to talk about this. So first, just want to point out that he was a true hat stall. And the hat spent over five minutes deciding between Gryffindor and Slytherin. Of course, obviously, ending up choosing Gryffindor in the end. A lot of kind of my logic in this I took from Super Carlin Bros, of course. (laughs) They released a video that I actually think it just came out in like May. 2020 and they kind of go through why or talk about Wormtail's Hogwarts house and they argue that everything Peter does is totally out of fear which we kind of talked about earlier um killing people framing and framing Sirius hiding as a rat resurrecting Valdi everything is due to his fear they also argue that Wormtail was his hat stall because he had so few qualities of any house. So kind of the opposite. Like, you think about uh, McGonagall 
was a hat stall. And it's because she had so many Gryffindor qualities and so many Ravenclaw qualities. Like, we think of hat stalls as, like, these really great wizards, like McGonagall, um, Hermione. I think Flitwick was almost one. Yeah, Or maybe, maybe he fully was one. Uh, so it's just, it's kind of just funny that it's the opposite for Wormtail. Like, no house wanted him. He didn't deserve to be in any house. Yeah, he would, like... At at Ilvermorny, you know how like the statues move, just like no statues would move for him, and he'd be like, "Sorry, you can't go to the school. See you later. Yeah, have a good life." <laughs> so I'm gonna just go through each of the four houses, um, talk about using some of Super Carlin Bros logic, but also just like what I've found in the series for support for him in that house, or mostly just like why he doesn't fit in that house. So, Hufflepuff, pretty, I think Super Carlin Bros says, like, the first house you can rule out. He's so disloyal. And I think this is actually cool because, like, we often say, like, you know, Hufflepuff said, I'll take the lot, and she would take anyone, but he's so bad that he wouldn't even get taken by Hufflepuff. <laughs> <laughs> he, but I don't want to, like, say it, like, I don't mean it that meanly. I mean it, like, Hufflepuff is accepting and will take pretty much anyone except if you're just like i yeah. feel like that's like the one trait that rules you out from me entirely yeah it's like we'll take the people who maybe aren't like the bravest or aren't the smartest or aren't like the evilest sorry slytherins um but like <laughs> Hufflepuff will just take everybody who's just, like, a nice, kind, good person that, like, maybe isn't right. extraordinary in any other way, which, as a Hufflepuff, I, like, feel a lot, you know? Um, yeah. But, like, he wasn't, he wasn't even, like, the bare minimum of, like, a good, nice, kind person. <laughs> right, which is, like, a choice that you can make, you know? Yeah. So, he wasn't even loyal to Voldemort. Like Katie talked about, he says in Goblet of Fire, Wormchild just turned out of fear to his friends. Like, basically everything was out of fear, no loyalty at all. Hufflepuff is out. So then we move on to Ravenclaw. And there's no evidence for him to be in Ravenclaw either. He's not very smart. It kind of talks about how he, like, uses his friends um, and then Voldemort to get him places. You know, he rides on the coattails of James and Sirius. He's always mentioned as, like, not being nearly as smart or talented and another piece of evidence that I was kind of thinking about is, like, with James and Sirius, this idea we have of them leading the way with becoming anime guy, like, I feel like it would be a very Ravenclaw thing to, like, dive into the research and this difficult process and, like, figure out how to do it and, like, you know, plan everything. And from what we know, Wormtail barely made it through the process. Yeah. And then just on top of that, like, teachers did not see him as bright. McGonagall says she was harsh on him. He doesn't seem like he was particularly invested in his education. Like, if McGonagall didn't like him, I feel like she tends to just like people. I mean, she likes Harry because she loves Harry, but she likes Hermione because Hermione is, like, does her work and is very bright. And, you know, it just seems like Wormtail really was not a dedicated student. So Ravenclaw is out. So then we get to Slytherin and Gryffindor. So Slytherin, he has no ambition. He has no kind. I think we kind of established that talking about self-preservation more so than power hungry. 
And I think that the one case for Slytherin is the self-preservation case, which is not like, it's not like one of the canon Slytherin traits, but I think it's something we talk about with Slytherin a lot. And this is much very intertwined with fear as a motivation, because not only was he afraid of everything, but also he still had some desire to live and survive, even with a low quality of life, and he would do anything for that. So, like I talked about with self-preservation, switching sides to be with, because Voldemort was winning, um, killing all the muggles so Sirius couldn't kill him, living as a rat for 12 years, and going back to Voldemort. Like, at some point, you would think... I've been living as a rat for 12 years. Maybe it's not worth it. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, all he was motivated by was survival. But, okay, self-preservation, I do think, out of any of the houses, it is a Slytherin tree. Um, But I don't think he would have done well in Slytherin. We can see this with how, like, the Death Eaters and Voldemort treat him. Slytherin House just never would have accepted him because he is so pathetic. I don't I don't mean, like, Slytherin House, like, he wouldn't have been let into the house, but, like, I think he would have really struggled in Hogwarts. And I think Gryffindor ends up being the right place for him because he had the best chance to do well there. He doesn't end up doing well. He doesn't learn how to stand up for himself. But, again, getting back to that Neville comparison, like putting him in Gryffindor and giving him James and Sirius and Remus and Lily and those great, brave people was something that, like, gave him a chance to become someone and, like, make a name for himself. And I I know this is, like, an, a weird way to think about it, but I just thought about this because we know that the Sorting Hat does kind of take this into consideration because the Sorting Hat does tell Harry that he would do well in Slytherin. And I know that means, like, Harry would become powerful and everything but I think the sorting hat in addition to like looking at traits that the student has and I think this kind of gets convoluted a lot but the sorting hat I think does look at like how that student would fare in that house I I agree I think we I might just be remembering this wrong but I feel like we've talked about that before maybe in the Neville episode just like talking about Mm -hmm. like making sure the fit is also right for the student yeah I think it might have been the Neville, the Neville episode. So finally, Gryffindor. And this is... I'll spoil the Super, Car- Super and Carlin Bros video. Is that they, they support the Gryffindor sorting. And I think I've kind of come around to supporting it. Some evidence for that. The hat stands by his the, its decision of the very end to put him in Gryffindor. Saying that his death was evidence of this. That there might be this tiny tiny little bit of honor in him i don't know about that maybe um this is also i think this is also maybe the only moment of his life that wasn't driven by self-preservation um the the moment of him like hesitating to kill harry because the self-preservation thing to do would be to kill harry i think the thing with gryffindor is like he's not at all courageous it's so hard to see it fit basically all the things I've been talking about with his motivation is like he was afraid of everything fear 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 but I think this is what makes Gryffindor the right fit for him and this is what Super Carlin Bros says they say if you fear everything then what would you value above all else bravery so again we have this correlation to Neville Neville was this fearful little boy 
and he valued bravery and he became a brave person. Peter worshipped James, Ceres, and Remus precisely because they were everything he was not. And James, Ceres, and Remus embodied Gryffindor in ways that, like, I feel like a lot of the characters in Harry's generation don't. Yeah. And that they were these bold, courageous, go out there, act before you think, follow your heart type people. And Peter worshipped them. We hear McGonagall say that. And she knew them for seven years. Like, she's the one, she's one of the people that has the best perspective, I think, on them that we can, like, hear from. And in the end, we always say, it's about what you value. Your house is what you value. And he valued courage, I think, above all else, even though he never had an ounce of it. Like, Yeah. So I do... I think Super Kyle and Rose does a really good job playing this out and just thinking through it myself. I think I'd always kind of liked that he was in Gryffindor because it means that there's, like, a bad wizard that wasn't in Slytherin, right? I like that Gryffindor kind of gets a shitty person because they yeah. have all of the, like, badass characters, too, yeah. or most of. Um, so I always, like, was like, I think it's good that he's in Gryffindor, but I could never really defend it, and I think thinking this through and watching the video, I think it is, I think there's a good case for him to be in Gryffindor. Despite the self-preservation stuff, I think coming down to what you value and the fact that, like, he really, like, I think it's clear that he valued bravery, but he never was able to come. Yeah, I remember watching this video when it first came out, and I think it, not that, like, it was a real, like, aha moment, because you know, thinking about Peter Pettigrew's house being an aha moment is just, like, a weird thing. Um, <laughs> but, like, it, it kind of, it all made sense. Because I was kind of, like, in the same boat as you. Like, I didn't really know which house I would argue he should be in. But he just, like, his house was always kind of this, like, point of contention in the fans, obviously. And I really do like their explanation a lot. I think it makes a lot of sense. And it, again, ties back to that, like, Neville-Peter comparison that we've been talking about throughout this episode so I really like that um so moving on to the where are they now section I don't really have anything else to say because normally I'll talk (laughs) about a character's death here but because his death is just so like packed with stuff about like who he is as a character we've already talked about it so he dies in the dungeons of Malfoy Manor um after like quote-unquote helping Harry escape um (laughs) We can also, like, I we haven't really talked about this, but, like, why do we think that he hesitated? Like, what were his motives? Do we think it was because he's like, oh, shoot, like, Harry's right. He did save me once. Or do you think it was, like, a little bit more honorable? Like, do you think, like, do I really want to kill this kid? I think. He's, like, up in Harry's face, strength. Yeah. I think he looked into his eyes and saw Lily's eye. Oh, I thought you were going to say James, but you... You went the eyes route with Lily. I mean, I'm, I'm fully, I think I'm I'm getting on that that train of Lily was, like, kind to him. And and I think I do support that he was, he was good friends. He was part of the Marauder. But I think that the, the person that treated him the way that he wanted to be treated was Lily. And I think... You think about how personal that, like, up in your face strangling someone is. Yeah. I think he saw Harry's eye. Yeah. Also, like, this is kind of off topic, but can we talk about how, like, Lily gets, like, left out of a lot of, like, the Marauder 
stuff. Like, granted, she really didn't become friends with the Marauders till seventh year. Um, but she was always, like, kind of around. And then afterwards, I feel like she was just, like... Like, I feel like her friendship with Sirius and Ramus, I would just love to see. I think it would be, like, really sweet. I think that she ended up being, like, a very positive influence on not only James, but also Sirius. And I think that would have been, like, a great, wholesome friendship to see blossom, her and Sirius. But going back to the Wormtail thing... I don't know if I even believe that he was, like, gonna stop strangling Harry. I feel like it was just this moment of, like, do I actually want to do this? Like, mm. am I convinced that he would not have just, like, gone on to kill him if the hand didn't intervene? I don't know. But I feel like it was more of just, like, a split-second hesitation. Like, the slightest hesitation. Yeah. Like, I don't even know if he had comprehended why he hesitated, but he just, like, you know, it just, like, happened. Yeah. You know, I feel like that's kind of always been my interpretation of it. But I do really like the eyes. That's like a very more like interesting. I just thought of that like literally (laughs) as you were asking the question because I'm I'm getting on this Lily bandwagon. Yeah. Also on the note of like her and Sirius's friendship. I think the one thing where I feel like we really like see her in the Marauders and see that glimpse of it is that letter that she wrote Sirius. And the thing that I've had in mind when I keep talking about how I think that she was a good friend to Wormtail or, like, kind to Wormtail is she, like, references Wormtail and she calls him Wormy. Yeah. And like, like, he stopped by and, like, I just think, I don't know, I think that she she was, like, a really good person. I think she couldn't. I, we, we often glorify her, but I think that she wouldn't have been able to, like, be beat him. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. She, like, her and James both, I know that, like, we've kind of shit-talked maybe more Marauders information in previous episodes, but, because I would much rather, like, I don't, maybe much rather is a a strong statement, but, like, seeing her and James' relationship, I think, would be very interesting, but I do also kind of like the ambiguity that comes with it, just because we Mm -hmm. don't need to know everything. We really don't, you know? Yeah, I, all right, are we ready? Yes. Mr. Archie Thomas's cocktail. So it's called the Mud Bloody Water. (laughs) Okay. Which a muddy water is a cocktail. Yeah. I just don't know how much like Peter has to do with mudbloods, but I mean, I guess he was a death eater. Yeah. I guess it's just kind of a play on words. Yeah. But it says, when you're as pathetic as Peter Pettigrew, you'll drink what the Dark Lord tells you to. Oh, damn. Muggles call this simply muddy water, but then what do those idiots know, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think it's a funny description, although, yeah, the, like, he never was on that side for the, like, blood supremacist cause. Yeah. So the cocktail is two parts white rum, two parts orange juice, cola, and ice. Orange juice and Coke? Oh, no. Does not sound good. Does not sound good. Oh, (laughs) no. So. Dark Lord tells you to drink it, though. It's like a rum and Coke, but just, like, quote-unquote spruced up. (laughs) (laughs) I just feel like the... I feel like it would look worse than it would taste. Because, like, orange juice is, like... Orange. 
Yeah, it's orange and it's like, you know, orange juice is like, it's like opaque and like, yeah, yeah. You have it with pulp and then you mix that with Coke and it's like, it's like this is going to be super embarrassing. I don't know if I want to tell this story, but as a child, like over the summers, I would spend it at my grandparents' house because like my parents would work and I was home all day and I would like play Hogwarts quite a bit you know as one does <laughs> like I would like have class I would like write up class schedules like that was one of my favorite hobbies as a kid to like make up Hogwarts class schedules because you know that's what you do as a child um but like one time for potions class I like mixed orange juice and like chocolate syrup oh and it was like I actually tried this because as a child I was a I like one of my favorite snacks I'd always eat at my grandparents was Cheez-Its and chocolate covered raisins mixed together don't ask me why but I thought like I would just eat those like in the same bite together so I was like oh it's like orange juice and chocolate like the same thing it was not it was absolutely disgusting do not taste like orange yeah but they are orange I think there also might have been toothpaste in my concoction of orange juice and chocolate syrup but it was absolutely disgusting do not recommend so I like I'm getting like that's what like seeing coke and orange juice like reminded me of (laughs) is my orange juice and chocolate syrup experiment as a child Uh, are you concerned about the fact that your favorite Harry Potter characters go to a magic school that doesn't teach them practical skills like basic arithmetic or what an element is? Did you go to a magic school that didn't teach you practical skills like basic arithmetic or what an element is? If any of the above applies to you, you should check out our podcast. That's Not How Science Works, hosted by myself and my truly awesome co-host, Nicole. In our podcast, Caitlin and I discuss the science in different pieces of media, such as movies or TV shows, and dissect whether it's good, bad, or just plain ridiculous. Often, we also have special guests who help us rant about bad science and their areas of expertise. We release new episodes every other Monday, and you can find us wherever you usually download your podcasts. We like to think of this as a podcast for the science curious. So whether you're a practicing scientist or a wizard who just graduated high school with no practical life skills, we'd love for you to listen in. You can also find out more by going to our website, thatsnotscience.com, or by looking us up on Twitter, at TNHSWpod. We hope you give us a listen. Now back to your regularly scheduled Potterheads, Katie and Audrey. So the pop quiz question for today is who is your favorite marauder? Just because we did talk a lot about the marauder's relationship in this episode. So let's hear from the fans. So from our Facebook group, Lita, I think that's how you say your name. They said, I think movie Lupin and book serious. I was really mm. disappointed with book Lupin for his behavior towards Tom. And movie serious is just so not so involved in the story as book serious was. Um, would also dead worm tail be too evil to say? Which <laughs> I thought was hilarious. Uh, I didn't read the comments this time, so I didn't know what they were going to be. Yeah. That's good. That's great. Dead worm tail is a good answer. Wow. And then... Anne said, probably serious, maybe James, but we don't know enough about him. Yeah. Which I agree. We don't, I feel like we don't know that much about Jane. My favorite Marauder, I guess, is Remus Lupin. I don't know why I said Remus. <laughs> um, I, I, Katie and I were talking about this before we started recording, and I 
I think while I read the books, and definitely like growing up, I always, without a doubt, he was my favorite marauder. Um, I think I, I, he is one of the ones you get to know better, right? And it's like on the good side. Um, I always liked that he's like, you know, he's kind of bookish in comparison. I think he has a really interesting story with being a werewolf and all of that. And I love the third book is like my second favorite book, and the third movie is my favorite movie. And he plays just such a big role, and I love the relationship that he forms with Harry as his professor, and I think he's a really good professor. So, yeah, I think it's it's Lupin, because I like him as a character. He's not, like, an amazing character to me, but I'm not a huge fan of any of the other Marauders. Obviously, I don't like Wormtail. Sirius, I'm kind of like, he has a lot of flaws. Eh. Sirius is one that, as I've gotten older, I've, like, got more critical of and james like we don't know much about him yeah i think that my favorite marauder is peter Pettigrew. i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) my favorite's lily uh i mean yeah for sure also i don't know if we've talked about this before but lily potter and i share our birthday so like we're basically the same person (laughs) (laughs) so lily evans yeah i so i say lily potter because my first dog's name was lily and we made her middle name potter so like lily potter is just so much more ingrained in me than like lily evans even though that's like what her she her last name is potter for what like a year (laughs) yeah i think that's why i like her yeah um like we so audrey and i talked about this before and i think that i'm gonna say james just because so he's the one marauder that we don't actually meet so everything we hear about him is either like to one extreme or to the other extreme (laughs) so we either hear about him from snape and he's like the worst person possible or we hear about him from like the order members and from Sirius and like I guess I think Ramus does like become more critical of him as he gets older but it's like of his best friends who like obviously loved him so I do think that he like the actual James fell somewhere in the middle now I'm not saying that like he wasn't a bully and wasn't mean to Snape but like just taking what Snape says as who he was as a person I think is a slippery slope um yeah because it's obvious he's obviously biased you know and obviously the other things we hear about james are biased but because we never really meet him we don't like really know what is true and what isn't and who he was as a person i do think that he probably sways a little bit more to the good side just judging on like some of the things we do know he does his actions um and i think he'd just be like a very fascinating character and like I said, I think his relationship with Lily, just because the things we do know don't really make the whole lot of sense, <laughs> like how he was not a prefect, but head boy, um, that seems suspicious. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't know. I just think learning more about him just because we don't know much about him makes him my like favorite, if that makes sense, because I want to know yeah. more about him. Sorry, that was a very long and rambly answer. I apologize. <laughs> didn't really know what I was saying I don't don't really have a whole lot of opinion on the Marauders if you couldn't tell yeah I think both of us are not as diehard about Marauders 
Yeah, and I think that part of that is because a lot of people love Ramus Lupin. Like, so many people have him as their favorite character or Sirius, too. And not that I dislike Ramus, but I just don't, like, connect with him on that level. I feel like a lot of people see mm-hmm. themselves in Ramus just because he has a very, like, um, a very clear, like, character story of struggle and of hardship so I think a lot of people kind of like see themselves in Ramis and I just don't have that connection with him as a character so I he isn't as important of a character to me if that makes sense yeah so you can find our episodes every Tuesday for about another month through the month of August every Tuesday on any of your podcast platforms and make sure you go and leave us a review on Apple podcast that really helped us I think we're still at 29 reviews so you know just go hit those five stars type a few nice words it's really helpful yeah um so on social media you can find us as wizard studies podcast on facebook and instagram you can join our facebook group if you want to get your voice heard on the pop quiz segment our facebook group is called wizard studies podcast group um, you can find us on Twitter as Wizard Studies. And then starting in three days from the release of this episode, you can find us on Patreon. Oh, you can also email us at wizardstudiespodcast at gmail.com. Sorry, I forgot Good about job. that one. <laughs> as always, thank you so much for listening. And remember, just do your best. We'll do the rest. And learn until our brains all rot. Mm-hmm.